0: When something bad happens to a family, it affects everyone differently. A cause for celebration can be infectious and leave your family flying high for weeks. But when something bad happens, it has a tendency to change people, especially children. You never know how someone will process a bad situation. Sometimes, when tragedy strikes, a person can be changed forever in the worst possible way. My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to discuss part one of a two-part series covering two brothers. Today, we'll focus on Carrie Stainer, older brother and serial killer. Four women died at the hands of Carrie Stainer. We know this because the police know this, and the police know this because when they caught him after he murdered his last victim, he admitted to his role in a 1999 cold case. So there's a lot to unpack in all this. I want to be upfront when I say that I'm not here to absolve the killer of his crimes. I'm also not here to justify the kind of person that he turned into. but. I think you'll find as we go along that this was not your usual serial killer. And in a lot of ways, that makes his crimes so much worse. In 1999, four women were murdered just outside of Yosemite National Park. But only three women were present for the first round of murders. Police were shocked to receive a call about a badly burned car. Given the fact that there was no clear evidence of an accident, police were rightfully concerned. If there's anything that true crime fans know, it's that burning a car is only ever done for one reason. To dispose of evidence. Though the car was badly burned, the police found two bodies in the trunk. The two women were identified as Carol's son and Sylvina Palazzo. Sylvina was only 16 years old, but Carol was 42. These two women being together wasn't all that odd, but as soon as they were identified, police had something else to worry about. Carol and Sylvina were accounted for, but what about Carol's 15-year-old daughter, Julie? She was with the two of them when they went missing, but now she was nowhere to be found. Unfortunately, that was only true for about a week. Police received a note with a map. The map was drawn by hand, nothing more than a scrap of paper. It came with a note instructing police that they needed to find the body. A week later, they found Julie's body about 30 miles away. And for a while, that was it. Police didn't know who would have murdered the women or who would have abducted Julie. But, of course, they had their suspects. They interviewed shady characters in the area and targeted a few known criminals. Though they questioned quite a few people, they weren't making any headway on the case at all. Police eventually began to believe that a stranger killed the women, and with some time, they would be proven right. Unfortunately, the case made no progress until another body turned up. This time, the woman police found was not just a tourist. She was not a random person who just happened to be in the area. Her name was Joey Ruth Armstrong, and she was a worker in Yosemite Park. When police found her, she'd been decapitated and left near her cabin. In light of this new attack, police started to wonder if there wasn't more going on in the area. Two sets of extremely violent murders within a few months wasn't something that police could easily look away from they began by investigating people that they knew were in the area fairly consistently. Most notably, they started at the nearby Cedar Lodge Motel, which was just up the way. It was not only near the cabin where Joey was murdered, but it also happened to be the same lodge that the original three victims stayed at during their time there. During their questioning, they interviewed Carrie Stainer. At the time, Stainer was working as a handyman for the hotel. Police took to questioning him, but they didn't notice anything odd. Stainer seemed to have all the right answers for their questions, but not suspiciously so. He didn't have any kind of criminal record or history of violence. He was just an average guy responding to questioning about something that happened in the area. But then, police got a tip about something suspicious. Someone said that there was a car parked near Joey's cabin the night she was killed. And the make and model matched Stainer's car. I always wonder if twisted people like this have some kind of sixth sense where the police are involved. While so many killers stay hidden, others seem to flee at exactly the right time, and that's what Stanner did. Before police could snatch him up from home, he took off running. But don't worry... They did manage to track him down. While not every true crime story details out exactly how and where a person is arrested, I think that Stainer's story really takes the cake. Police managed to locate him, and when they arrived, they found a very interesting scene. Stainer, a man who had murdered two women and two girls was enjoying lunch at a nudist colony. Yes, a nudist colony. Now, I love dystopian novels as much as the next person, so I have obviously entertained the idea of where I would run if a mega-corrupt government was chasing me. And I have to be honest, I never would have considered a nudist colony. Forest, sure. Abandoned building, cool. Other country, preferable. But the phrase, deranged murderer flees to nudist colony, just doesn't have the kind of pizzazz that you would expect. Anyway, they found him, they questioned him, and he admitted to all four murders basically without any prompting. So, that's all a little weird, right? After Stainer was arrested, he decided to flip the script a little. Like so many serial killers do, he decided to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. A lot of people try this, and sometimes it works. But the intensity of Stainer's crimes spoke for itself in the eyes of the court. They didn't find it likely that anyone capable of committing such extreme and calculated crimes could possibly be insane. I have no doubt in my mind that they thought something was wrong with Stainer, but enough to not be able to stand for his crimes? Not likely his lawyers claimed that he had a history of mental illness and that he suffered from extreme OCD. They even pulled out brain scans that were supposed to demonstrate that he suffered from a psychotic disorder. But Stainer just couldn't keep his mouth shut long enough for his lawyers to try to make a real case. He actually told the police, and guys... I am not even joking, though I know that you are all going to think of all your favorite true crime memes, this man literally looked police dead in their faces and told them that he scrubbed the crime scenes of evidence, which he learned to do by watching the Discovery channel. I know. This is a truly horrible man who committed absolutely terrible crimes, but that quote honestly just sent me. And then, after a moment of silent reflection, I found myself wondering just how many true crime fans are secretly murderers. So, that was fun. But anyway... Stainer did not manage to get away with his plea for insanity. He was arrested, charged, and is still waiting on death row. The death penalty is a pretty tense topic of discussion for a lot of people. Some people dislike it because they think it's inhumane. Others don't like it because it costs a lot of money to keep people on death row. For a long time, I have been in a fairly controversial camp about the death penalty. I always thought that it seemed fairly justified in certain circumstances. For me, a person who could, say, harm and murder a bunch of children without remorse seems a lot like a person that the world just doesn't need someone who is caught red-handed after shooting several people in a public place seems like an obvious shoe in for this kind of justice. Like many, I would read about serial rapists and murderers sitting on death row and think, what a waste of time and money. And then I realized that there is more to the system than simply deciding that a very bad person should not be left among the living. People are found innocent while sitting on death row all the time. And a lot of them barely make it out with their lives, literally. Racial biases are rampant when it comes to the death penalty. With a little research, I learned that when they added rape as a justifiable death penalty crime, 89% of deaths involved black defendants almost entirely for crimes against white women. With murder, 75% of the cases involve white victims, even though white people are actually less likely to be murdered than people of color are. Like a lot of people, I am trying to learn more about what goes into the systems that we perpetuate in society, and learning all this certainly put it in a new light for me. In my eyes, a circumstance like this, where the criminal kind of gleefully admitted to his crimes, seems like a pretty good use for this kind of system, but that doesn't mean that the system isn't broken all the same. And the state of California is working on that, too. After finding a flaw in the system, California halted all executions back in 2006. And they're still down. Stainer has been sentenced to death, but it seems more likely that he'll die in prison of natural causes. Either way, I am just glad that he's off the streets. now. I know what you're thinking. By this point, you're probably wondering what makes this a story about two brothers. You probably want to know about all that stuff I said regarding how murderers are made. So, let's talk through that. Carrie Stanner is a serial killer. But before he was a serial killer, he was a kid with a little brother. When Carrie was 11 years old, his 7-year-old brother, Stephen Stainer, was abducted. According to Carrie, his parents neglected him completely after his brother was taken. While they grieved his brother's loss, Kerry claims that he was left alone to his own devices. And then something pretty amazing happened. Stephen Stainer managed to return to his family after seven years of living in captivity with a child molester. Now, it wasn't just their parents focusing on Stephen. It was the world. Time passed and Carrie ended up living with an uncle. An uncle who was murdered. And that crime has never been solved. Personally, I think that it would be naive to assume that Steven Stainer's disappearance did not influence his brother. But Carry himself admitted that he fantasized about murder long before his brother ever disappeared. And as horrifying as that is, I believe that. I also believe that Carrie Stainer is severely mentally ill. I just don't think that absolves him of his crimes. In the next episode, we will discuss the life and tragic death of Stephen Stainer, a child who was held captive in a cabin for seven full years before he managed to escape. But if you want to talk true crime in the meantime, feel free to contact me using the tag at Pod on Twitter or Instagram. And if you crave ad-free listening, you can find the episodes on my Patreon using patreon.com slash like and inscribe. Thanks, guys.